Welcome to Conversations in Complexity. Today I am delighted to have with me Dr. Gary Newton, the Chief Executive Officer of Sinai Health Systems. Uh, Gary, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us this morning. Pleasure. So I want to start with a basic question. How did you become a hospital CEO? Completely by accident. (laughs) I'm a clinical cardiologist, Um, did my training in general cardiology, followed by training in congestive heart failure. I was actually a clinician investigator doing physiology and small mechanistic studies in heart failure. And my day job was taking care of patients with advanced heart failure. Advanced heart failure comes in two flavors. Uh, One are the sexy patients with single system disease, often young, often with a viral infection, who go on to transplant. I didn't do that. The other group of patients, the other 99%, are elderly patients who have heart failure for the usual reasons, hypertension, diabetes, advanced coronary disease, and they typically have heart failure in the context of all of those conditions. And they're elderly, and they have cognitive impairment. That was my clinical career. So you started with complex patients, but probably weren't calling them as such at the time when you were dealing with these multimorbid. Yeah, yeah, you I were had no idea. Yeah. I was a complexity specialist. Yeah. And when I saw your work and was introduced to complexity, there was a discovery. Aha! You just have to see a description of a patient, and then you knew what complexity yeah, was. Yeah, the framework for it. How did you get involved in uh, health administration? So I did it the way clinicians often do, which is incrementally and started on the medical side. So I first ran a training program in cardiology locally, and then an opportunity came up to run my local division of cardiology, and I was the right person at the right place and was successful. The next step was running the Department of Medicine. Again, uh, it was a logical step because I'd had a lot of fun running the division. And then I had a lot of fun running the department. Then Mount Sinai Hospital merged with Bridgepoint Active Healthcare, creating Sinai Health System, and that created the next level of opportunity. Every step before, if I look back three years and honestly said, did I even think that would be an opportunity or did I covet it? Never did. So like in complexity, they emerged opportunities from kind of substrate of possibilities, so to speak. I often tell trainees and younger people I mentor that planning is overrated. Um, (laughs) Responding to opportunity, open and excited, for a lot of people is an interesting pathway to get to some interesting places. So it's fascinating voyage. You started, as you said, with mechanistic physiology, sort of at the micro level. Uh, Your clinical patients were multidimensionally interesting with uh, multimorbidity and aging and heart failure. And it kind of followed a parallel course from dealing with individual patients to managing clinicians as a department chief and then a chair. And now you've got the viewpoint of an entire system. How do you see complex patients or complex systems evolving? And how do you think that health systems, particularly something like Sinai Health System, should respond to them? That's a big question. We're here for big (laughs) questions. The answer is challenging and it's very much dependent on the jurisdiction you're in. I'm struck as I'm now sitting at planning tables and with larger groups, with the ministry, with our local health integration network, our regional group. We often start discussions and planning exercises by level setting and reference to jurisdictions that aren't ours. 
and it's often a Shangri-La picture of hmm. perfection and ease. And then the lights come back on and then we're faced with our reality, which is messy. Mm-hmm. And I think most jurisdictions, when you get into them, are messier. And we start with the false premise of some other group has nailed it. Right. And some other jurisdiction, often some European country, has got it perfect and everyone's managed beautifully. And it doesn't matter how many conditions and how many doctors and how many medications, they seem to not be integrated. We, in Ontario, struggle with the fact that we are a non-system system. Mm-hmm. And I'm not as apologetic as people would think I would be by that, because although we get a lot of things wrong, we get a lot of things right. People don't die in the streets. Major critical illness, catastrophic illness is cared for as well as any place in the world. And you only have to go to a jurisdiction that doesn't get that right to realize that that's a pretty good starting point. God forbid you get acute leukemia or suffer a potentially catastrophic heart attack, we're okay. And individuals may have a problem with their care, but at a system level, we have that covered. And that is not surprising because that's easy to measure. It's attractive to politicians, and getting it wrong is immediate. Mm -hmm. And politicians and our political masters never tolerate getting that wrong. You know, if a young person with leukemia doesn't get treatment and dies, uh, there's no amount of money that will not be spent to remedy that problem, and the remedy will be fast. Well, I'm pleased to hear you say we have a non-system system, because I've been arguing that for some time. We have a profusion of excellent services that they're not corticated yet, right? So how do you see us moving towards a a more systematic approach? We have a non-system system, because when you move away from acute health care, which we do well, into the management of patients, the remainder of their life, the other 99.98% of their existence, when you subtract the four days of hospitalization, there is complete absence of a system. Hmm. And the system is fundamentally advocacy and engagement of yourself, your loved ones, and one or two providers, typically doctors, And what you will experience is very much dependent on that kind of dyad and the relationships that occur between your group, your doctors. If you're lucky, your doctors went to medical school together and are buddies and will pick up the phone and chat about your care. And, you know, by a back door, you'll get integrated care. If you're in a big city like Toronto, likely your doctors have never heard of each other. They don't know the phone number. Then your family doctor has no idea who your cardiologist or your diabetes specialist is. And there's no system supporting any integration of their care pathways. You said it in a round in it, and I smiled and realized I had done this my whole career. And I've always presented patients as their cardiac disease followed by their comorbidities. <laughs> the inference being that Once you have cardiac disease, of course, everything else is relevant from the interpretation of the cardiac disease outbreak. I still still emotionally think that way, (laughs) and I will to my grave, because the heart is most important and always will be. But that really drove home to me that the way I've delivered care my whole life is lovely for the individual patient if I engage and go the extra mile, but is the antithesis of what we need to do. That embedding care with subspecialists and anchoring it in physicians' offices and anchoring it to the disease is the opposite of what we need to do. The dirty secret is that subspecialty medicine in the ambulatory setting is easy. I could teach my teenagers to do it in a month. Uh, Heart failure has five drugs. And we give it in varying different combinations. 
um, when you get into acute care, when you're doing research, the odd patient is different, and that's the 5% that is different from the 95% routine. We're in some ways analogous to airline or airline pilots. Mm. You know, 99% routine, 1% terror. If you follow a cardiologist through a heart failure clinic, it's highly repetitive, it's straightforward, and they spend very little time doing medicine. They spend a lot of time chatting, talking about how you're doing, catching up on the kids, my kids, their kids. Yeah. But we've anchored that whole model of care delivery in me. I'm the most expensive, hardest access point in the system, but yet I'm the point in the system. So I'm the specialist is interpreted incorrectly for the care of a patient who, as I've learned from you and your group, has eight specialists, and every one of them thinks they're the center of the universe, and their medications are the primary ones, and everyone has to interact with them. Yeah, and I think we're still a long way away from actually, even when you step away from that model, figuring out, I mean, and that's kind of our challenge, is how do you actually manage the issue of complexity as an entity in and of itself, rather than a, I think, reductionism, the idea that we split things into actually manageable chunks has served us well. That's why we have some of the you know, stunning outcomes that we've seen in the last 25 years. But I think we've kind of reached the edge of that, and now we have to reconsider what it is we're actually doing when we're delivering care. I'm sure your specialist colleagues will be interested that you've let your dirty little secret out for them, for the world to hear. But uh, how do you see us then moving beyond that to a different structure? That's not easy because we have built our house of cards around how we operate today. So you can't pull out a card and assume that the castle will remain standing. Yeah. A simple example of that is the remuneration system for specialists. Most specialists depend on their large, busy ambulatory program for a large percentage of their income. If the term, have you ever heard of the term well baby checks? Mm -hmm. So the term for your listeners, well baby check refers to in a clinic morning with 14 patients, 10 of them might be well baby checks. Now, the well baby check is an 80-year-old woman, mm -hmm. but what it means is it's lovely. She's well. I see her once a year. Uh, there's very little to do. She's organized. Um, heart failure is two diseases. It's a catastrophic disease, and then it's kind of like diabetes. It's in the background, and until it reveals itself, you just live with it for years. The well baby check does nothing of value, but it's the patient is reassured, the physician is paid, mm -hmm. and that is really the foundation of that physician's enterprise. So the fix is not easy, but I do think elements of the fix are important. Number one, the same way the palliative care docs are stuck with a name that doesn't suit them anymore. Yeah. Because whenever you say palliative care, everyone gets terrified and they think, I'm not dying. So when we try to get a palliative doctor in for a heart failure patient, they're terrified because they don't understand they're dying. Yes. We're all dying. Complexity is a misinterpreted name. When I was first exposed to your group in complexity, I thought complexity was complexity. I thought it was what I went to medical school for, you know, the crazy diagnosis that I'll see five times in my life and that only 12 people in the universe know what it is. Your complexity is really an uber disease mm -hmm. that captures all of the other conditions, both medical and social, within that umbrella. I don't know what the name is, Yeah, but I'm not sure it's complexity. No, I, I agree. We've landed with complexity, for lack of a better term. 
I started working with multimorbidity, then concurrent chronic disease, but that there then disease was too specific to, didn't get capture the social stuff, chronic conditions, because many of the social determinants are chronic conditions, poverty, income. So it's an unhappy term, I agree. We're going to use it for the time being, but I love that notion of the Uber concept, because it is. It's a kind of general way of thinking about things that doesn't reduce to any specific component. Related to that, labels matter, mm -hmm. because they anchor practitioners. You know, it's you, you have to be able to tell your mother what you do. And as a training doctor, you have to be able to say, <laughs> I'm training to, it's hard if she goes, what is that? <laughs> so I think that's not trivial. Who is the doctor? Yeah. And is it a doctor? I think are two crucial questions. Yeah. Honestly, subspecialists will always have a role, but we're misinterpreted. Yes. And I don't think they're the core doctor for complexity. Yeah. The problem is when you say that, people's back gets out of line and they get defensive because that somehow implies they don't have a role. They have a huge role. Yeah. The whole thing is predicated on the heart failure being managed well. But I don't think that's the primary doctor. In a perfect world, it's a family doctor who is enabled by their relationship to all of the specialist providers who uses them as kind of an all-you-can-eat buffet. Mm -hmm. That's hard because the docs have to make a living so a dock-in-a-box model where a subspecialist is available to a family practice group that specializes in complexity and comprehensive management of multi-need patients, if the diabetes specialist's job is to sit and wait until they're summons and do some troubleshooting around the diabetes, well, what does that person do for the next hour? Yeah. And we have to nail that, and we have to nail groups of practice that let that person actually have a primary activity, enjoy themselves, do what they do, but still be available in a very rapid, right now fashion to provide engagement. And those solutions may be technological, mm -hmm. and we may have to get past the point where the dock in a box has to be in a box in our office. You know, that dock in a box may be with my new $1,000 Apple phone yes. uh, available virtually as needed. In the same way we've always done telephone quick updates, you know, maybe that's a virtual process where I step out of the office, what I'm doing for five minutes, and I look at my phone and I see the family doc and the patient and the real, and I engage in a discussion and it's got data on the bottom of the screen. Yeah. Those kind of next generation solutions may be important. If I could crystal ball who's going to be the complexity specialist of the future, I think it's a family practice enabled job. I don't think that de-emphasizes the disease, but I think that puts the disease states in alignment with where they need to be, which is their enablers of the patient's health. But they're not all that different uh, from Meals on Wheels and transportation and a day program. Mm -hmm. um, they're not more important. They're all kind of in the Venn diagram of that patient's wellness. Yeah. And arguably, the Meals on Wheels will be much more resource-intensive and impactful than the literally once-a-year cardiologist visit. Yeah. So I, I like your comment about being able to explain to your mother what it is you do. So when I was studying philosophy, I did epistemology, theory of knowledge, and she, my mom looked at me and she said, isn't that what happens when you deliver a baby? I said, no, 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 that's a, that's episiotomy, Mom. I, it's, it's related to knowledge and skill, but it's not quite the same. Well, when I was in medical school, I was going to be one of three things, a family doctor, a psychiatrist, or an internist, cardiologist. 
And I didn't have any burning passion for any of them. It just, they were pathways. Yeah. And the family ended on my very first rotation. And it was all gyne and it was all what I call below the diaphragm medicine. Mm -hmm. And that never attracted me. Psychiatrist ended when I told my dad I was considering being a psychiatrist. And my sister had just married a psychiatrist. And he said, Christ, you got one. I don't need to. <laughs> and, and he vetoed my, my career choice. And, and that was it. So, again, planning and <laughs> vision is lovely, yeah. but you can get there without it. Excellent. So, last question. Where do you see Sinai and health systems going in the next three to five years? The better question is, where do I hope systems? Okay, that's a good question. Where do you hope they're going to go? So, in the Ontario and Toronto microcosm, we're an interesting space where we have multiple overlapping hospitals multiple overlapping jurisdictions, different regions, and the hospitals own nothing, so patients can go anywhere. And then to make it interesting, our physicians have privileges, but they're not paid by hospitals, they're not employed by hospitals, so they're free agents. So in the short term, we have the most Rube Goldberg system you could ever design. I think it's a waste of energy trying to reinvent the wheel and trying to make us something we're not. My kind of evolving focus on this is a bit more upstream into population health. And I'm starting to understand our hospitals as fascinating keepers of resources that other sectors desperately need and covet, but they're not hospitals. And what I mean by resources are resources, walls, heating, meeting rooms, an HR department, an IT department that can give someone a computer and make sure that thing works. When you look at the social determinants of health and the groups and agencies in that space, they become cottage immediately. And they're characterized by being under-resourced. And they spend a lot of their day trying to find what for them are resources, but for me running a $600 million healthcare system, a rounding error. Hmm. And I'm actually getting very attracted, and we've started down the pathway of partnership but not in the conventional partnership that somehow I magically have to have an expert in food security or in you know, the design of bus routes into a neighborhood on a hospital, yeah. uh, fundamentally. Uh, but if I can provide the resources in the meeting place to let groups who have been passionate about that, you know, city design, work with a public health shop, uh, work with an academic who's trying to find the intersection, if I can be the meeting place and resource all of them, I'm excited to see where that takes us. Ah, fascinating. I'm glad. This is a perfect place to land because last year we hosted the International Roundtable for Philosophy of Medicine here at Bridgepoint. And out of that became a subgroup interested in population health. So I'm hoping to convene another conference this coming June, basically on exactly what you've just articulated. So... Uh, you hopefully will be able to bring that hope together soon. So thank you for your time. Grateful for your candor and uh, really enjoyed speaking with you about complexity. Pleasure. Cheers. Thanks. Okay. Okay. Thank you.